Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Are we all good? It's so good, isn't it, to be with family this evening. You know, Sunday nights are my favourite night. I get to talk to people, share my life with them, have conversations with them. And I wondered as I was preparing this message, how many words do we actually speak in a day? Kate says too many. (laughs) Some more than others. How many do you think? Top of your head. How many words do you think we speak in a day? No. (laughs) I do. How many? 50,000. 25,000, do we got any more on 25,000? That's right, Ali, it depends if you're a man or a woman. On average, women speak 20,000 words in a day, and men, 13,000. Yeah, it did really make me chuckle. Well done, Ali, thank you. (laughs) So how many do you think you speak in a lifetime. Well, yeah, <laughs> but on average, Josh said, how, 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 depends on how long you live your life. Got to bring it down, and they. So it's 860.3 million words on an average lifespan. How do they know that? That 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 really intrigues me. Does somebody follow somebody around recording everything that they say? <laughs> that really made me chuckle. Now, I just want to pull my phone out and just bear with me because I was really interested in why women speak more than men. Well, actually, it didn't actually give it me, but which gender talks the most? In humans, it's the girl who talks more. Yep, absolutely. I'm a girl. I'm a chatterbox. I was always in trouble at school for talking too much. And baby girls tend to communicate using sounds and gestures before boys do. And as girls get older, they have a larger vocabulary. That's not easy to say, vocabulary. So, so yeah, women speak more than men. But what if our words do not speak life? What if our words cause others to be hurt? With 20,000 words in a day for women, 13,000 for men, I wonder how many of those words are building up and edifying. I want you to imagine with me a busy Saturday morning, maybe. The supermarket in the supermarket. Who goes shopping on a Saturday morning? Not me, because it's too busy. But I want you to imagine this. And we're taking our our turn and our way down the aisle. And there's a mother and a child ahead. And the mom tells the girl about 12 years of age to reach an item on a lower shelf. So the girl, she's obedient to what her mum's asking her to do. And she reaches down to get the item. And as her hand touches the item that she thought her mum wanted, the mother screamed at her, using a string of profanities and asked if she was stupid. She proclaimed that she had to do everything herself, pushed the girl physically out of the way and got the item that she wanted. This little girl, she doesn't react, except to back out of the way. She wraps her arms around her little body and with an emotionless mask on her face, walks down the aisle behind her mum, who is still telling her that she's stupid, she's not worthy, perhaps, she's not good enough. It was clear 
as I imagined this in my mind, that she was used to the cruelty of the woman's words. Now that child could have been me in my childhood. God put this on my heart on Wednesday night. I wrote this message in four hours, so I know it was from him. You see, throughout the whole of my childhood, negative words were on repeat, like a constant loop, not only from my mother, but from my older sister. My dad was never in my life, and even when he was, there was always negativity. Even as an adult, when I was a wife and a mother in a professional career, the stinging attacks continued, and my self-esteem was battered constantly. It was almost like being battered. You know when you see a wave constantly battering on the rocks? That's what it felt felt like I couldn't breathe, I couldn't do anything. Until the day I met Jesus, I always felt like a small child in their presence. I couldn't do anything right, and I felt stupid. Even when I became a mother to Harry, my, my, he's my little boy, he's 23 on Friday, he's not so little anymore, but I remember changing Harry's nappy and my mum literally telling me I was doing it completely wrong. Even as a mum, as a grown adult, a grown woman of 27, she even took that at that time away from me. I felt stupid, I felt worthless, and I believed the words speak, spoken over me. I believed all the time that I could never do anything right, and I had to check myself and ask people all the time, did I do that okay, was that all right? My ex-husband and a subsequent partner added to it all. I felt utterly destroyed by their words because I believed them. You know, a little bit like the girl in the supermarket, I spent my life until the age of 41 feeling dejected, emotionless, because I truly believed everything that was spoken over me. So let's lift it up a little bit. Has anyone heard of Love Languages? It's a great book. It's a book by Gary Chapman, and it's primarily for couples that outlines five general ways partners express and experience love. Kate uses it at weddings. We heard it at Debs and Glynn's wedding a couple of weeks ago. And it's a really beautiful way to understand how your partner feels about certain things and how you together can speak into one another's lives. But I believe that that can also be applied to friendships and relationships with our family because I'm a single, single lady and you know, quality time is one of the, the, the love languages. But these are the five. I'm gonna talk about quality time in a minute. So the five love languages are words of affirmation acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. My top love language is quality time. I love nothing more than being with the people I love without distractions and making quality time for one another. It's an absolute tank filler for me. I'll be seeing Harry on Friday, as I say, for his birthday. We spent five days in New York in April, and that has kept me going because I just love being with my boy and just making memories and just being together. My second one, I actually thought was words of affirmation, but God showed me this afternoon when I was at Rory and Charisse's actually, that it's acts of service. Because I'm single, I live alone, but to go to somebody's house, thank you, Charisse and Rory, for having me, to have a meal cooked and other people that have had, had me around, even when somebody makes me a cup of tea at work, it's just really lovely that somebody thinks about you and says, you know what, you stay there. Joss came round, I was working, we were doing some evening service work and I was tapping away on, the, on my computer and Joss came and I said, oh, do you want a cup? And he's like, no, you stay there, I'll make it. And it just really does something, doesn't it? It's really great for people for us to serve one another. 
I have to try really, really hard because of my past to break the cycle of people pleasing. Even now, or even asking if I've done a good job because words and wounds go deep. I don't think Kathy's here, but up until probably a year ago, I used to get down from the pulpit and say, is that all right? Did I do a good job? And she says to me, what do you think? Because it took a while to break that cycle off, but now I know that I'm in strength of God and, and things are good and I don't have to be told that I've done a good job or not. And I think that can be applied to each and every one of us because God works with us and through us. Because God's done an amazing work in me and I believe what he says about me, not what the world tells me. That's where we need to be as followers of Christ, believing in what Jesus, what God, the Holy Spirit is telling us. We're always going to come across the naysayers. I love that word, naysayers. It's quite an old word, but you know the doom merchants that do their best to mood hoover you? We're always going to come across them, but we always need to remember what God says about us. But words of affirmation edify and build us up, whether they're written or verbal. You know, in the world that we live in now by text messages and social media, we can take things the wrong way because there's nothing, no emotion behind it. It's really hard. Who loves a nice card at Christmas or birthdays? Yeah, I do. It's great, Nip. Kate's really good at this. She sends cards out just to say, love you. <laughs> or, you know, whatever it's on the front of it or whatever that message is, it, to come home to that really, really powers people up. It's not just me because she does it for a lot of people in the church. During COVID, and I was working on critical care in the COVID wards, people in this church used to send me cards and say, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking of you. Keep going. That's what we need to do. We need to build each other up, even when it's hard. Now, people, I'm going to come away from me, but I just want to set a scene. People often comment about my weight. Many people often tell me I'm too thin. And you know what? That really goes... <laughs> I don't have an eating disorder. I have never had a problem with my weight. Folks, this is me. I'm teeny tiny at times. I'm bigger than I have been for a while, and that's good. But that, throughout my teens and in my 20s, had a significant effect on me, and it caused me to have a serious mental health disorder. I didn't feel normal at all, and I now know that I had body dysmorphia. I struggled when I looked in the mirror. I saw something that wasn't there, purely because people would tell me quite nastily that I was too thin. An ex-partner of, of mine once said to me, gosh, darling, you're really thin, aren't you? And this was a man that loved bombed me for years before I agreed to go out with him. Love bombing, if you don't know about it, it's somebody who's narcissistic that does everything that they can to gain your control of you. And this man loved bomb me. But the minute that he had me, that control turned to narcissism and he destroyed me. Well, he didn't because I'm still here. But at that time, it was incredibly destructive. Even when I was pregnant, I was size eight with a huge bump. I looked like Mr. Greedy. <laughs> I wanted to be that lady that had the, you know, the really nice bump, but no. My boss used to say when I was in the army that we had this really long corridor in um, squadron headquarters that as I was walking past the door, he would see my bump 
and then I would follow. <laughs> that's quite sweet, isn't it? But that was fine, and that's good. And I was back inside eight Janes after giving birth. But those words spoken over me about my weight for many years were powerful because off-the-cuff comments sometimes from people can cause pain. Now, the title of my message this evening is Sticks and Stones, funnily enough, may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. In reality, words can hurt worse and leave more debilitating, debilitating wounds than a stick or a stone. Whether the words target a child or a spouse or a friend, the effects of cruel words can be devastating, as we've heard. Words are potent. Words can change everything. Words brought galaxies into being when God said, let there be light. And there was light. God's words have impact. We read in Isaiah 55, 11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. His word never returns void. His words are living, they are active, and they are sharp. God's word illuminate dark places. We read in Psalm 119, 105, your words are like a lamp to my feet. God's word nourishes souls. Who in this room has had nourishment from God's word? Yeah, because you know, we need to rely on the word of God in the world that we're living in. And it says in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. God's words defeat death. God's words defeat death. Hallelujah, yeah? The words of the gospel are the power of God. They are literally dynamite. But think of the negative words and the dynamite and the destruction that they can be caused when they're not spo um, spoken well. Mariah Carey once said in an interview that for her, one criticism will instantly overrule 1,000 praises. Who can identify with that? Yeah, I can. I had an, um, an instance, I think it was last week, and um, I got a really nice dress on, I love my nice dresses, and I have really, really lovely comments from a lot of people, which is great and lovely, and then somebody made one negative comment about my appearance, and boom, dynamite. That word that was spoken over me resounded loudly in my mind, until I sorted myself out, got myself home, and reminded myself of who God says I am. Words can wound and steal life. Gossip and slander bring a cheap thrill to some while exploiting and objectifying others. Words of condemnation, accusation, and sarcasm create pain as they shame, belittle, and discourage. There's a slide just come up of a, of a person sat in a corner with really negative words being fired at them. You know, this is like the fiery arrows of the enemy that when we're going through life and he's firing stuff at you, or people have spoken negative things over you, it can take you into a dark place. That's quite a dark picture, isn't it? So what's God's view on words? In Matthew 12, 36 and 37, it tells us that we'll be justified or condemned by every idle word we speak. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have ever spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. I don't believe that is for us to fear. It's just a reminder that we need to be careful of the words that we say to one another. The context of these verses is being known by our fruits. What are the fruits of our words? Do our words soothe and heal? Are they gentle even when offering correction? 
Or do our words in tone or in meaning sometimes act like a weapon, a stick, or a stone? The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. How can we make sure the fruits of our words are good ones, a tree of life to our children, our spouse, and others? So what are the principles that we can use? And there's, of course, a great number of principles we can use and draw from the Bible that can help us to guide our words. Now, I want to talk about the four-minute rule. Has anybody ever heard of the four-minute rule? No? I think I told Sarah about it. Was it Sarah earlier? I was at a leadership development day uh, last Monday at Trent Vineyard. Um, The NHS uses it significantly. And there was a guy called Steve Head that was running the day. And he talked about the four-minute rule. And the four-minute rule is when you walk into a room or you get home after a busy day and you walk through the door and everything is in chaos. Or you might walk into your workplace and you might see something that's not quite wrong and you just want to let rip. Anybody felt that? You walk into somewhere, I don't know, I mean, when I was married, um, my, if you think I'm tidy, people that know me, Joss and Sarah, yeah, um, my ex-husband was to the eighth degree. You could not move anything at all. And it used to drive me to distraction. And I'd walk into the room, and I'd be like, oh, for goodness sake, blah, 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 blah. But the four-minute rule is you don't say a word. You just take yourself off, and you go away, and you come back, and you go, because, you know, if you distract yourself, things are better. And you come from a place probably of love and go, you know what? That's really driving me to distraction. But I get why you do it, but can we sort of find a middle ground? It's like when somebody's really messy. I cannot deal with mess. My son is the messiest person I've ever met in my life. Oh, it just drives me to distraction. I'll walk into the living room when he's home, and there's like a trainer here, and there's a sock there. I walk up the stairs, and there's his underpants. It's not nice. And, uh, you know, his bed's not made, and there's, he's got a beard, and he's clipped it, and it's all in the sink. And I'm like, yeah, yuck. I got a really tidy house. And I love it. It's a girly house, but I love my boy. So I walk away, I go and make a cup of tea, and then I say, come have a chat. <laughs> and I do it kindly. So that's the four-minute rule. So six points quickly to apply to our lives. Emotions are bad drivers. Some of the most hurtful words issued, uttered are those by driven by anger or frustration. Apply the four-minute rule. And everyone on occasion is tested when it comes to controlling emotions. When anger or frustration flares, it may be hard to do, but as I've just explained, excusing ourselves by walking away and cooling down helps us to gain control. Because Proverbs 15, 18 says that an angry man stirs up strife. Yeah, have you ever been in a room when there's somebody really, really cross and it's just escalating? And uh, I was driving here tonight and God just showed me a picture of, you know, when people argue in public? It's really hard, isn't it? It's just like, oh. Out and it's just you can see the person that's been berated and you want to step in and do something, but it changes the whole atmosphere. The Colossians 3:8 gives us a list of things to remove from our mouths, even as they are forming in our minds. Of course, anger is the first one, wrath is second, malice, blasphemy, and filthy language follows. And if we're to reflect Jesus in the world and in the church, then we need to recognize what drives our poor emotions. 
just described an emotional outburst and when it happens, it can be really unsettling. I remember being in the supermarket and a little bit, little bit like the little girl that we sort of imagined at the beginning of, of the um, message. And this lady was just screaming at her child. And it's hard to see. And people did step in actually, um, very bravely. I work in a secular world and it seems acceptable for this to happen. It's just not okay to constantly berate people or behave in a negative way or to speak nastiness or unkindness over people's lives. But what does God say to us as followers of Christ? It may be acceptable in society, but God says they are not acceptable because of how outbursts may damage people. Because the wise pay attention to what is going on. Have you ever been around somebody who will give you an answer before you've even finished asking the question? Have you ever been in a meeting or maybe having a conversation with somebody and they're absolutely bursting to, to just to butt into the conversation? Yeah, and you're like, I'm trying to, trying to get my point out. I've been really guilty of that in the past. It's just because I'm excited and I want to just really affirm somebody or get my point across before my brain, the word evaporates out of it. But it's frustrating. Have you ever been the person who was in a hurry and threw out an answer before you heard the whole question? Have you ever let an emotional response cloud your hearing of the whole matter? Proverbs 18.13 says that if a person answers a matter before he hears it, it's a folly and shame to him. It's a wise person who takes time to understand the whole situation and not jump in with a response before fully observing what is going on. And the value of truth is spoken in love. Wouldn't it be great every single day to wake up and speak love into people's lives? But we're human beings and we get it wrong. But I'm really hoping that in this word tonight that God is going to download some stuff into our spirits to remind us to try and speak in love at all times. God values truth so much that he dedicated one of his Ten Commandments to being truthful. And that's Exodus 20:16. In the list of things that God hates, two of those have to do with lying. Even when it's uncomfortable, God expects us to tell the truth. Who's got a mentor in this room? Yeah. So I've had two, no, I've had three, three mentors in my time in the church, and all of them have given me tough love. And it's been for my benefit, and it's grown me, and it's improved me. Kate's now my mentor. She's incredibly honest, which I really, really value, but it's always done in love. The lovely Irene, she was my mentor for four years, and she really pulled some stuff out of me and spoke into my life in love, even when it was really, really hard. And telling the truth can be tough, especially when you feel it will hurt someone's feelings. And this is where we had the principle found in Ephesians 4.15, that we must tell the truth, but we must do so in love. Often it helps to consider how words affect me if they were coming back at you. You know, would you say to somebody else something that you wouldn't say to yourself? I think that's a, a really important thing to take with us. The law of kindness. Proverbs 31.26 refers to speech guided by the law of kindness. While this chapter specifically refers to the godly woman, the Proverbs 31 woman, all of us, men and women, can apply the principle. The Proverbs 31 woman 
comes to me an awful lot. I read it everywhere. I see it on Instagram. And I do believe it's God reminding me to be that woman that he created me to be. And you, not just me. It's something that we can all do. A commentary I came across while searching this message describes the law of kindness like this. Remember, it's the Proverbs 31 woman. Her or his speeches are guided by wisdom and grace and not by inordinate passions. And this practice is called a law in her tongue because it is constant and it's customary and proceeds from an inward and powerful principle of true wisdom. Constant and customary, he or she is unwavering and always kind. His or her speech is not guided by inordinate passions. They don't let emotion color what they say. Tied in intricately with kindness is wisdom, godly wisdom, when we base our actions on God's laws, which are framed by love towards him and love toward fellow man. Kindness naturally follows. Building up versus tearing down. I'm sure we've all been on the receiving end of really harsh words, and we all can ex remember that experience probably and how it left us feeling. Paul, when writing to the Ephesian church, instructs, do not let corrupt words come out of your mouths, but instead what is good for edification or building up. And Proverbs 12, 18 tells us that the tongue of the wise promotes health. It's so true. Those negative and narcissistic words spoken over me, they broke me. They took me to nearly lose my own life by my own hand. And I thank the Lord every single day for bringing me through. The Bible says a lot about encouragement, even when, even, sorry, we even find one of the apostles of the New Testament church, his name was Joseph, but was nicknamed Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement because of his notable encouragement to others. He could be like one of the early mentors in the New Testament church. Christian author Gary Smalley, so he, this was a guy who, um, oh, what are they called? Oh, what's the charity called? My mind's gone blank. Something for the family. Care for the family. So he supported them in, in lots of work. And he says, encouraging words from mums and dads are like light switches. Speak of words of affirmation at the right moment in a child's life, and it's like lighting up a whole room full of possibilities. This same principle applies in our own lives when we're grown-ups. It can be to our spouse, to somebody we're dating maybe, friends and co-workers, our siblings, our children. How different this approach is from the mother described at the beginning of this message. She chose to tear down and destroy. We've got the power to flick the light switch on people's lives. Knowing when it's time to be quiet. That's so hard. <laughs> In my role outside of the church, I have always been an advocate for others. Um, I had to do a personality test on this um, leadership day, and I came out with something called an INFJ. And it's the rarest personality, apparently, of course. It would be, wouldn't it? And I'm an advocate through and through. I'm a defender of the weak. That's what it tells me. It tells me that I'm always going to go above and beyond for others. I've always worked in jobs where I've been an advocate for other people, but we can all be advocates for other people. I was a bereavement lead in maternity up until, oh, when was it? This time last year-ish, for three years. And when you're dealing with bereaved people, 
the best approach is just to sit with them. It's hard, isn't it? We want to fix, we want to affirm, we want to tell them that you're with them. But sometimes we just need to know when to be quiet. It's a really, really hard thing to do. It's simply when our presence provides more comfort than our words could ever possibly do. This is often, as I say, after the case of a tragedy. There may also be times when our silence will cause less harm than our words. And God's just um, put an impression on my spirit um, of a lady that I supported where somebody said something about the loss of her child and she carried it so significantly we have to be so careful even when we're well-meaning in those circumstances to to provide comfort and maybe stay quiet at other times people are more qualified to answer which is one reason the bible tells younger people to keep silence when the elderly are speaking now i'm 50 i'm thinking is that me (laughs) because i don't i feel quite a young person still but it's true With age and experience, we can offer so, so much. The younger are not forbidden from speaking at all, but are waiting their turn. They may gain wisdom. We're also told that you are spiritual. You who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Discerning when one is wise enough to speak up in a way that will really help is a great filter that often stops inappropriate words. And finally... Sometimes we have to simply walk away from a situation to create the quiet space needed to let emotions cool down. Let's always remember to apply the four-minute world. And as I come to close, I just want to leave you with some final words. Because words are an integral part of our lives. They connect us in such wonderful ways. It's with words that we share ideas, emotions, knowledge, humour and many other things. Who just doesn't love a great belly laugh with one of your mates? Just, it's so uplifting, isn't it? So, I I just love it. It's one of my favorite, favorite things. So many positive benefits come from using our words properly, but when we use them improperly, they tear down, they damage and destroy. Think back to the picture I asked you to imagine of the young girl taking a step back and wrapping her arms around herself as her mother ranted on. I wonder if that mother had been kind, what that girl's life may have looked like. I just want to show you this very quickly. This is my book of prophecy and prayer. I was encouraged by Irene to start a book of prophecy and prayer. In this word, in, in these words in this book are words of kindness, encouragement, and clarity. Can I encourage you tonight? moving forwards when somebody speaks something over you kindly in a prophecy write it down because on the days when you're feeling weak remind yourself of what God is saying because it's coming from him but through a vessel every time I go to Bible college I'm part of a I'm I'm a bit over but I think this is important I always have a beautifully written card it's got my name on it And Undivided is the women's ministry that I'm part of at Regents. And they pray over us for a whole term. And when we arrive, we receive a gift bag with words of love, kindness, and encouragement written on a beautiful card. And they set me up, they power me up. Again, it's a tank filler. Can I encourage you, when you're in prayer, if God gives you something, write it down, even if it's on the person out and give it to someone because you took it away in your heart. 
and you can tuck it away physically for the bad days to remind people, remind yourself. Now I want to end where it all began at the cross. Jesus nailed to the cross in the most excruciating pain, his natural life minutes away from ending. He had negative and evil words spoken over him. He was ridiculed, he was mocked and blasphemed. Uh, not only by the spectators, but also by one of the criminals next to him, nailed to the, to the cross. Yet, Jesus still shared the message of salvation, even in the midst of torment. One of the thieves responded in faith to the message of salvation and was taken to paradise that very day. While the other man did not respond in faith and is now suffering from a deadly and eternal mistake, Jesus, to the very end, uses words, words to speak life, eternal life. There's power of life and death in the tongue. Think of all the people who have gotten strength and encouragement because of the words spoken to them. In the same vein, remember all of those that have had their dreams, hopes, and lives crushed by the power of the words spoken. This is the life and death Solomon referred to in Proverbs 18.21. The only question that I want to leave you with is this. How do you want to give life or promote death? How you decide to use your tongue will determine which side you land on. This small part of your body carries so much weight and influence, so I hope that you would choose life. Let it be from this point forward we start to use our tongues to produce life and stop killing others with the words that come from our mouths. After all, there is the power of life and death in the tongue now we're going to worship very shortly and we're going to sing I speak Jesus I do not doubt that there are people in the room that things have been brought to mind of negativity sadness maybe trauma I'm well aware of that I want you to know that you're loved and that God loves you and what God says about you is the most important thing so will you stand with me as we prepare our hearts? God gave me a picture just before I came out of the house and I was listening to I Speak Jesus. And for any of those words that have caused you pain, he showed me as you speak Jesus and sing his words over your life, those words, they're going to go up like a touch paper. You know what I mean by a touch paper? That that flame, that holy fire is going to burn away every negativity that's been spoken over you. So Lord, we thank you for the words that, that your word will never ever come back void. Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of pain and trouble, you are good. Amen. <laughs>